When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go, Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters. Presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing. Anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by ESPN NBA reporter Dave McMiniman. Dave is a Syracuse graduate who served as a student manager on the 2003 team that won the NCAA title. We talk about his experiences in the SU program, Syracuse players in the NBA, and the season Dave spent playing for the University of Limerick. On today's edition, we're going to take a look at basketball on the next level, the NBA. And in order to do that, uh, I called in an old friend of mine, uh, a Syracuse grad um, and a guy who's just done a great job of reporting on the NBA in in his role as a NBA reporter with ESPN, uh, Dave McMiniman. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Good to see you. Well, we should let people know right up front, and you've given them a clue with what you're wearing here today. Uh, you are a Syracuse University graduate. Yeah, class of 05, uh, spent the same four years at, at school as Akeem Warwick. Uh, and I was a manager for the basketball team, so I, I got to know Akeem uh, pretty well. I, I majored in um, print journalism, which no longer exists. Newspaper journalism, I guess, was actually my major. They don't have that anymore. <laughs> that shows how old I am. Um, obviously, the media landscape has changed a lot in these last 15, 16 years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ever since graduating from Syracuse, I've I've worked, I've been fortunate uh, basically that entire time to work covering the NBA. Which is amazing. And, you know, we should say that when you were at Syracuse from uh, 02 to 05, same as Hakeem Warwick, uh, when you were a student manager, that means your sophomore year, that was the year Syracuse won the national championship. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a thrilling experience. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the Philly suburbs was, was always a Villanova fan. My dad went to Villanova. And so you heard about the story 85 championship run. And my dad spoke about it in reverential tones, my entire, entire childhood. And so then to be smack dab in the middle of a NCAA run as a college student was, was really surreal. Um, and I think, I think for Syracuse fans um, who experienced that season, you know, they were unranked. Going into the year, you you know that well. There was high expectations because Carmelo Anthony showed himself to be pretty special uh, down at Towson Catholic and then at Oak Hill and McDonald's All American. But you didn't know he'd be that. Uh, right. Season right. opens up with a loss at Madison Square Garden against Memphis. Uh, but slowly but surely, they they it just was a team that had 
all the parts fit around a phenomenal player, one of the greatest individual seasons in college basketball history. And, you know, there I was. Uh, now, back in the time, uh, Syracuse only traveled two managers. So the rest of us junior level managers and, and actually a couple of guys who had graduated, uh, we all jumped in a car and made the 25 hour drive down to New Orleans to take in the final four. <laughs> but you were there. You I was there. It. I was Even sleeping on Craig Forth. Craig Forth and Andrew Cowie uh, were kind enough to let me sleep in a cot in, the, in their room at, uh, at the Marriott down in New Orleans. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, Craig Forth, and Andrew Cowan. That, that's, that's a, right. that's a that's motley crew. <laughs> <laughs> One guy seven foot, and two other guys, what, about six? Six, but we, we play we play taller than six. Me and Cowie, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Um, what was Carmelo Anthony like in that one year at Syracuse? I mean, he was just a kid, right? He was. Yeah. I mean, when I look back, I see those photos. I just go, oh my god, he was he was a baby. Baby faced, uh, but certainly he enjoyed life, uh, and he was very like open. I, I was impressed even back then how open he was to everyone, from teammates to training staff to assistant coaches to even us managers. Um, you know, he was the type of guy where you'd be at training table uh, or you'd be after practice at Manly, and he'd offer up his plans for what he was going to do. And if someone was around, like, you want to come play video games? You want to go grab a bite to eat? You want to go check out Marshall Street? Uh, he was that that type of guy. Uh, and it also, like, he was he was charming. I mean, he, he had a he had a aura about him, a way about him. It was this, this whirlwind of a year uh, that you also, like, you know, he was playing through back pain in, in the Final Four and still putting up 30 and 10. I mean, he had this just – impenetrable will uh and incredible skill set like he really was a stretch four before that was later on in his freshman season he started to get more and more comfortable shooting threes that wasn't a typical position back in 2003 in the college basketball landscape and uh he was working that into his game as the season progressed and yeah, it was it was just a great fit. Uh, and and it, you look at Coach Beheim's career without Carmelo, you know, yes, incredible career. But, you know, you realize how hard it is to win. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I feel good for for coach that he got to experience that because all these coaches, you know, only so many guys can win. Uh, and there's many guys who I think are true Hall of Famers without winning that championship. And Coach Beheim probably would have been that. But it, it does validate all the work you do. Yeah. Well, talking about Carmelo gives us a good jumping off point to get to the NBA because he's one of the guys I want to ask you about right off the top. Of course, he's had a great run here uh, over the last year with the Portland Trailblazers. But the year prior to that, he was out of the game uh, when the Houston Rockets let him go uh, and he only plays in the 10 games for them. Uh, what was it, two years ago? And what what kept him out of the league for so long? Because watching him now, it's a little bit of a mystery. Yeah, uh, it, it was a combination of things. Mostly, I, I put the blame in that situation on, on the Rockets management, in particular, Daryl Morey. Uh, and then there was obviously some 
some on James Harden. Uh, it had to be because you know James Harden was the leader of that team. James Harden was the guy who signed off on personnel decisions to some extent. Okay. And if, if you're going to bring in a guy at that stage of his career, I think he was 15 or 16 years in, mm-hmm. it was well known who he was as a player. There was, you know, you're not changing uh, him at that point. Uh, but there's also the good thing is that there's no surprises. And there's a body of work that lets you know that he can get you a bucket in a variety of ways. Uh, he is a guy who can actually show the way to younger teammates uh, that are trying to navigate so much being thrown at them, uh, you know, because he basically from the, the second he stepped on the court for Syracuse was, was in the spotlight and the spotlight never really diminished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. for whatever reason, uh, it was an analytical based program in Houston. And so with Daryl Morey's approach that didn't jibe with uh, the, the type of game that Carmelo played, he wanted him to make some drastic changes and he didn't even really give Carmelo a chance to make the changes. That That's right. the part that sticks in my craw, that it was only 10 games in and you pull the plug on a surefire Hall of Famer uh, who didn't have a major injury, didn't have a major attitude problem. Now, when I do mention attitude, Carmelo has to own some of it because his prior season when he was playing for Oklahoma City, right. he was asked after they lost in the first round of the playoffs, a team that featured him and Russell Westbrook and Paul George. So uh, the perception was they could do something with that team. Uh, he scoffed at the idea of coming off the bench. And I, I certainly think that hurt him throughout the league uh, because in that press conference, that quote was not a, that, that wasn't a real selling point. No, it wasn't. And, you know, guess what? It, it's probably hard for him because one of his best friends in the game is, is LeBron James and they're roughly the same age came into the league at the same time. Le, well, LeBron hasn't shown signs of atrophy and LeBron has gone from franchise to franchise and still had all of those uh, privileges that come with being the superstar player. Uh, you know, certainly Carmelo got used to that lifestyle, having had it absolutely in Denver, absolutely in New York, uh, you know, perhaps to a lesser extent in OKC, but, you know, wanted to be treated for the body of work he'd already produced in the league. And the Rockets didn't work that way. And you take that combined with what he had said and then combine that with uh, we have mimic thinking in the league too often where, you know, listen, <laughs> Phoenix Suns had the second best record in the league this year because they had the best jump shooting, excuse me, mid-range jump shooting percentage of any team in the league. Well, guess what? Like Carmelo Anthony is good at that. Uh, But a lot of teams were like, oh, well, we want free throws and we want three pointers and we want layups or dunks and anything else that's inefficient basketball. Well, that's not true. Uh, And, and eventually he found a fit and he found a, a Portland Trailblazers team that not only had young stars in Damon Lillard and CJ McCollum, who were re- really rallying around the idea of bringing him in, but you had Neil O'Shea who saw Carmelo as an asset to the franchise, uh, someone who legitimates, uh, legitimizes what they are trying to do, which is become a perennial program. And they can say that we had an all time great who wanted to be with us. And that mm-hmm. means something. And you know, whenever he does retire, I'm sure if Neil is still in a position of power there, he'll want him to be a alumnus who's a part of the program the same way you see Tim Duncan and David Robinson with the Spurs, you know, or all the Laker greats in L.A. that, that are still coming around. Um, you know, Carmelo Anthony is being claimed by the Blazers. 
that year off when he, he, no one was picking him up. And did, did Mello change a little? Did he, did, and whether his game or his approaching him or maybe just even attitude, did he change a little and has that helped him succeed in, in Portland? I think it, 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 he would have had to have. Um, I haven't had a chance. I've, I've had a chance to, to catch up with him a couple of times since he's played for the Blazers, but we didn't speak specifically about that. But there was a wonderful answer um, actually in the Blazers Nuggets series that Carmel's a part of right now where Austin Rivers, who's on the other side, is on, on the Nuggets, went through a similar experience. Uh, you know, He was putting up good numbers this year by the Knicks, uh, they waived him. Um, and all of a sudden he's out of a job and it was like, wait a second, I was just producing. It wasn't like I was hurt. It wasn't like I was on the bench. Right. What gives here? And, and, and Austin said that, you know, it, it just made him look at himself, recognize that of course he had some part to do in where he was and kind of refocus himself and his determination got even higher and you look at Carmelo like we get bits and pieces of these off-season workouts that guys go through mm-hmm. he's like a superstar there uh, you know he's a guy who is going to these runs in, in UCLA or, or out back east at the uh, Black Ops gym they call it uh, a lot of guys that they have millions in the bank and they have the all-star games and the gold medals and the accolades like you know, what does he need that for? But he kept on that love of the game. And then he did work on his body too. You know, he's trimmed down a bit. Um, and he's spoken about some of the dietary changes he's made. And, you know, quite frankly, when he was younger, um, you know, I, he was so good. I, I don't think it, it, it ever caught up to him so much, but he enjoyed the nightlife. Um, certainly as much as any superstar that I was aware of. And, you know, that catches up to you at some point. And so he seems to have made some adjustments in that area too. Let's talk about a, another Syracuse success story, but a younger guy, O'Shea Brissett. You know, a couple of years ago, he comes out of Syracuse after his sophomore year. He doesn't get drafted. Uh, he's with the Raptors. He's, you know, he gets a little action with them, but mostly he's G League. Then middle of this season, he gets picked up by the Indiana Pacers and a 10-day contract leads to another 10-day contract leads to a three-year deal? What, what in the world led to from O'Shea to set to go from a G League guy to a three-year deal guy with Indiana? Yeah, what a great story. And it, it really, two things. First of all, the fact, the timing of his story, the NBA is having this play-in tournament this season the first time it was fully legitimized they experimented with in the bubble last year but this was all eyes on the teams that were playing this is the opening game of the playing tournament Pacers versus Wizards and the Wizards obviously have superstars in Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook and you know Shane Brissett you could probably say was the best player on the court in that one game with the entire league watching it's a testament to, to his will it's also I think it debunks a bit of the idea that Syracuse basketball doesn't get their guys prepared for the pros. I mean, the idea of having a healthy college basketball program is bring guys in, allow them to certainly experience the, the NCAA tournament, be at a place where they think they can win and, and get that. You can't replicate that anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, give, give them obviously an opportunity to get a first-class education and explore 
um, any you know pursuits they have of the mind and give them a sense of, of what it takes work ethic wise to make it and what it takes in terms of your own personal responsibility uh, that you bring to the table to make it. And you know, O'Shea took a bet on himself. I'm sure it was uh, a bit of reality check for him as well when he didn't hear his name drafted, but he just kept working. He kept working. He found the right situation. And I listen, like for every Tyler Lydon or Johnny Flynn or, um, you know, uh, Chris McCullough that, that people want to bring up, there are your O'Shea Brissett's and there are your Jeremy Grant's and there are your Wes Johnson's and, and guys who really like didn't come into Syracuse with a, a ton of accolades or, or uh, they weren't very heralded. Uh, Keem Warwick, I put him in that group too. Absolutely. But they used the platform of Syracuse in order to better themselves. Um, and in order to make it in the NBA, it doesn't come down to what your coach taught you at college practice. <laughs> it comes down to your ability to manage all of the things that come into your life uh, and continue to work really hard and then have some lucky breaks. And um, I, I, I truly believe, and I, I, I'm obviously I bleed orange, but I truly believe that Syracuse does set it's players up to have that path. Now you mentioned that you, you sometimes hear this theory or whatever floated out there that Syracuse players aren't prepared for the NBA. Every once in a while, I'll hear this too. And, but from nobody that matters, it, it, it's like, you know, sometimes it's fans or I don't know who, but you know, and a lot of times it centers on the zone defense. Right. Well, it, back but in the day, it scouts, was. Yeah. I don't hear that from NBA scouts because they'll tell me, I can tell watching a game whether a kid can play defense or not, whether he's in a zone or man-to-man, -man, because they'll tell me, like, you know, a Syracuse forward still guards a guy 20 feet from the basket and at one point in the game is playing man-to-man. -man. So really good NBA scouts tell me, listen, it's not that big of a deal to us. It's like, yeah, you know, maybe he doesn't spend as much time playing man-to-man -man defense, but we can tell. Sure. What, what do you hear at your level when you talk to guys about this whole Syracuse preparing guys for that pros thing? Right. So, so first of all, illegal defense has changed in the last 10 years in the NBA where you are allowed to play zone. And two of the most respected coaches in all the NBA, Brad Stevens and Rick Carlisle, both employ zone. So that's one thing that I don't think everyone recognizes. Secondly, the NBA is a, it's moving towards the idea of being positionless and the guys that coach Beheim loves to bring to the program are, are long uh, and rangy and athletic. And guess what? That would lend that type of body type would lend yourself to being able to guard a point guard through a shooting guard, through a small forward, and sometimes even a center. And, and so, so that playing competitive basketball, being held to a really high standard while having that kind of physical asset uh, group that you bring to the table. Yeah does set yourself up for success on the defensive end uh, in the NBA. And, and again, there's no one, there's no one who played for John Calipari who is, uh, you know, uh, going to impress their, their coach at the NBA level based on, well, you know, coach Cal said I was really good at shell drills. <laughs> like, and also just for the record, 
Syracuse runs man-to-man practice drills as well. Uh, they, they play zone and, and uh, the press pretty much exclusively in games, but it's not like they don't play man-to-man. And these guys also play pickup all summer long and they're playing man-to-man then as well. So it, it's such an overwrought, easy talking point. It, it reminds me of the old talking point was, you know, uh, Syracuse doesn't leave the state of New York until December. It's a cupcake oh, schedule. Yeah. And it, well, you know what? if there was a formula that coach Beheim was able to figure out where if we play in a power conference and win 20 games, we're guaranteed to make the NCAA tournament. You do the exact same thing. <laughs> That's how you have a job security. You figure out the way to do what you need to do to make the people happy. And that's to make the NCAA tournament. Um, and, and, you know, of course, there were some upsets along the way, but I don't believe that a, a team is losing to Richmond in a 15-2 game just because they played Colgate in October. Yeah, probably not. Probably because Richmond was really unseated and actually pretty good. Now, a yeah. second ago, you talked about a Syracuse player, long, rangy, and athletic, kind of like Jeremy Grant. Now, Jeremy Grant, man, you know, he's been in the NBA for several years. Of course, he came when he came out of Syracuse, a second round draft pick. I, mean, I think we what he wore the jersey number 39 for several years because that was his number when he got drafted. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, but he goes to Detroit this year and good for him. He signs a life altering deal in terms of the money involved. But he also had a great season and he's one of three finalists for the most improved player award. Um now, honestly, was Jeremy just a good player on a bad team in Detroit, or are we seeing a guy developing to another level here at this stage of his career? Well, most improved player is interesting. I, I had him on my ballot. I voted for Julius Randle first who ended up getting it, but certainly it, it's, it's a big deal to get that much recognition that everybody's ballots seem to coincide that it's him, Michael Porter Jr., and Julius Randle. Like, if you talk to anyone who was voting that, those were like the kind of automatic names. I think there was a pretty far drop off who got number four in terms of the amount of votes tallied. He had, you know, the pedigree uh, with his father and his uh, uncle having played in the NBA. Um, he knew what big time basketball was like, having been at Syracuse. He comes in at, at a very good program uh, in OKC uh, and then started to get more opportunities in Denver. And he was probably the third best player in in the Western Conference Finals for the Nuggets last year against the Lakers team that won the NBA championship. Uh, That was significant. And there was still going to be a pecking order, though. Like, there was clearly a thrust from the Denver franchise to, you know, continue to develop Michael Porter Jr. And they play the same position. He also had Paul Millsap there already making a big dollar uh, amount. And that was, you kind of had to place Millsap some minutes there as well. And so it was, let's see what's out there. Oh, I can get paid more money and have a bigger weight on my shoulder and see what I can do with it. And I can go play for uh, a team that's run by, you know, Troy Weaver, who's the general manager, a former Syracuse basketball assistant coach, and Dwayne Casey, the head coach. And as a young African-American man, have two positions of leadership in the franchise, be African-American gentlemen as well. And, and he, uh, that was a that, story. He, he, he said he, that was one of the big reasons he did go to Detroit. He valued having an African-American in the, you know, leading the front office with Troy Weaver. 
Yeah, and I, to me, like that was a way for him to like build his own path. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously, the season ended with some knee pain, and people wonder whether it was intentional tanking or, or whatnot. Obviously, Detroit wasn't going anywhere in in the postseason, and we'll see if that pays off how the lottery breaks for them. Um, but he's in a good situation in terms of there's some ascending talent around him. Isaiah Stewart, um, who has some Syracuse ties to, he played for Mike Hopkins at Washington. He had uh, a strong rookie year. Sadiq Bay had a strong rookie year. Uh, you know, they have some talent there and they have cap space. And if they draft well, he could be the linchpin on a team that, in the Eastern Conference, you know, the bottom of the conference isn't so strong. So he could be back in the playoffs in a year or two uh, and being the guy versus being behind Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is a great player, but it, it's, it's, it takes a certain type of personality to want that challenge, and I commend him for it. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Short answers. I'm going to throw some stuff at you, okay? Okay, Mike. Are we going to see Deion Waiters in the NBA again? I hope so. I've been in touch with Dion over the last month or so. He did Eric Devendorf's podcast. It's a great listen to anybody who's listening to this podcast. Uh, we just, I checked in with him. Uh, you know, he's been down in Miami as a place down there. He's still working out, uh, spending time with his family. Uh, he won a championship with the Lakers, which was wonderful. And, and he showed some promise in their seeding games. But when it came down to crunch time, you know, Frank Vogel lessened his rotation and leaned heavily on a guy like Rajon Rondo, who was getting more minutes in the playoffs than he was even getting in the regular season. Not a lot of minutes at backup guard to go around, but you know, it, certainly he has shown to be a capable scorer. Now the ending of his time in Miami uh, is going to, he'll need somebody to kind of take a, a risk on him. Um, you know, the incident with having taken an edible, like a lot of play, a lot of teams out there, if they're taking in a player who's, going to be a bench player uh, baggage is something that they don't necessarily want to bring. And, and part of the Lakers situation was not only did he have Rich Paul as his agent, who obviously has several other clients who play for the Lakers, including LeBron James, but his former agent, Rob Polinka is the general manager. <laughs> so he had, he had two guys kind of <laughs> pulling uh, their weight to bring him into the fold. Uh, l- listen, he's young enough and talented enough that there are injuries. We see all the time in this league that, that something can and probably should open up for him if he keeps training uh, also though at the same time this is the end of his NBA career he's made a good deal of money and he'll be able to take care of his family for a long time I think we totally blew the definition of lightning round with that answer it was great. <laughs> sorry that's that's on me that's on me <laughs> okay we're gonna try a couple more I'll, I'll be quicker I'll be quicker All right. <laughs> be quicker I'm gonna give you three Syracuse guys who were drafted in the first round which one is the most surprising to you that he didn't make it Tyler Lydon, Malachi Richardson, or Chris McCullough? Most surprising that he didn't make it. Yeah, man. I I would go with Malachi uh, because he seemed to have the skills plus the personality uh, and the leadership aspect. Lydon was the most impressive player to me out of those three in his college experience, but you know, I'm sure I'm not trying to disparage Tyler. It didn't seem like basketball from what I've heard was like the top of his list. It wasn't something that, that made who he is as a person. Uh, and, and Chris, you know, wasn't there very long and, and didn't have a very successful team he played on, but 
yeah, Malachi was the guy. And, and, you know, much like uh, O'Shea was, was going through the Raptors uh, 905 G league system. And then you see him pop up on another team at the end of the bench. And it, it it just hasn't worked for him just yet, but uh, maybe he could be someone who goes overseas and resurfaces the NBA. Cause we have seen that with some Syracuse guys. If Buddy Beheim puts together a senior season that mirrors the last 10 to 12 games of this past season, is he a legitimate NBA prospect? Absolutely. I went to the Sweet 16 game in Indianapolis. I had to sneak there. I, like I, I covered a Lakers game from my hotel room on Zoom and uh, just went to the game on Saturday and flew back to L.A. on Sunday. But I, I sat with a NBA executive, a front office executive prior to that Houston loss. And, and we were talking about Buddy and throwing out names. And you know, he was looking at some of the success that, uh, those guys, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, are having down in Miami, and he, he's right. saying, "Like, why can't he? He has the size, he has the know know it all, know how on the court, and his stroke is pure, and he is growing in leaps and bounds as he gets more confident. And certainly, like, if he has the type of season next year they had this year, you will be an NBA draft pick, maybe even a first rounder." University of Limerick, Limerick versus Syracuse University in an exhibition game. How many points <laughs> does Dave McMiniman score? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I played about 15 to 20 minutes a game for University of Limerick. Uh, so if I got that versus Syracuse, I, I'll give myself at least six. Uh, I was thinking about this. We talked about this before. I we actually should explain to our, for, Okay, sure. We so, should play first here. At, at Syracuse, year, you yeah. got a chance to go study abroad for a semester or for a year, right? Yeah, for a semester, my junior year. So sophomore year, we win the NBA, uh, NCAA championship. I'm yeah. a manager for the team. Uh, <laughs> I talked to our, our assistant coaches. It doesn't look like there's going to be another walk-on spot. You know, the guys, Andrew Cowie and Rennell Heron, were still in school. It's not going to be, uh, you know, a, a spot for me to get. Um, and I, I played in high school, you know, I was not like a star or anything like that, but it, basketball was kind of my lifeblood. I really wanted the opportunity to play college basketball. I had friends going overseas. I found out the University of Limerick has a program, got in touch with a coach. He's like, we have, uh, we allow two Americans to play for our team. Uh, you'll have to try out, but you know, if you're practicing with the Syracuse team, I imagine we could probably have a, a place for you. So yeah, made the team and, uh, it was one of the you best experiences of my life. But got to play college ball, got to travel around the country of Ireland where my, you know, my grandparents are from and uh, in a bus and see the Irish countryside and visit places like Cork and Donegal and, uh, you know, uh, obviously Dublin. We, we, we played in the Ireland version of the NCAA tournament. It's called the InterVarsities tournament. It's only 16 teams rather than 68, but we made the final four from those 16 teams. So uh, it was a wonderful experience. Um, but yeah, I give myself like, I think I could score at least six points. I guess six points. If I get like, if I get six shots and I'll shoot probably all threes, maybe, maybe one inside the line, I can make two. I'll give myself six. But I did, was thinking about this. I did play for Syracuse kind of in a game. One year I went back uh, and it was having the alumni game. And it was on the carrier dome, dome court in jerseys, shorts, everything like that. John Wallace was on my team. And in that game, I scored game. six points. 
uh, two for five from three in that game on the carrier dome court. So that should count somewhere. Absolutely. I, you know, I've got a Syracuse media guide here behind me. I'll look it up. And if it's not in there, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the folks. Call up. Pete Moore. Let's go. <laughs> you, tell, you have a, you have an error and an omission. That's right. um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Hey, listen, Dave, um, I really appreciate you joining me here on the podcast. This has been great. Love talking basketball, especially NBA basketball with you. Um, have fun covering uh, the rest of the playoffs, and uh, we'll be looking for you, okay? Yeah, and Mike, thank you for doing what you do. You keep so many of uh, my friends and, and friends in the program uh, informed about the team that we love so much. Well, that's my job. Keep reading. Tell them to keep reading. Thanks. That sounds good, Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Again.